asking everyone. Uh, I apologize. I didn't think of it till this morning. Uh, I graduated high school in 1991, so I should have brought my like high school senior picture, uh, and you could have seen me in all my 90s glory. Uh, it would have fit beautifully with a. Uh, Throwback Sunday. Kids, I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, I always love it when you're with us. You always bring a lot of energy. Uh, I apologize. We picked a bunch of songs that were written before you were born, uh, but uh, you got a chance to hear kind of what your moms and dads grew up singing if they were, went to church when they were growing up. Uh, but I'm really glad you're here. Today, I want to tell you a story about a time that my faith struggled, but the struggle of my faith actually began by taking a big step of faith. Back in fall of 2010, I stepped off staff at a large Bible church where I was the young adult pastor because I felt God calling me to start a new church. And it was a big step of faith because I'm stepping away from a church that I loved, a church that seemed to have a great future, and also stepping away from a decent salary to now go into church planting. And the first thing you have to do in church planting is raise money. And if you've never done fundraising, the first thing you need to ask yourself is why? Like, why am I doing this? It's a legitimate question, but it also helps you realize I'm a little insane. Why am I doing this? But then the second question you need to ask is, who? Who do I need to ask for money? The first place that Leanne and I thought of was our church. The church where I had been on staff for eight and a half years. Uh, It just made sense to go to them because they were a very generous church. They had well over 20 missionaries that they supported, and the average amount that they supported those missionaries was $12,000 per year. Now, Leanne and I, we weren't looking for ongoing forever. We were going to ask for four years of support. So I'm thinking to myself, if we could get $12,000 per year for four years, oh, that helps so much because I needed to raise enough money to help us put food on the table, to pay rent or pay our mortgage, and, and, and then to have money to help start the church. So I put together a great-looking PowerPoint. Leanne and I went into the missions committee. We sat down, showed them the PowerPoint. Great conversation. And we left, and I just knew they're going to support us. In fact, I started thinking to myself, they're not only going to support us at the average amount, I bet they go even higher. I mean, I've been on staff for eight and a half years. They know me. They know that what we're trying to do is just in line with what the church has been doing. So maybe they'll do 15. Maybe they'll do 20. Like, this could be awesome. About two weeks later, the missions pastor called me up and says, hey, let's go out for lunch. So we we had out for lunch, and over lunch, he tells me that the missions committee has decided to not support us at all. That began a really dark week. I, I really struggled. My emotions tanked, and so did my faith. Because you see, I am not a natural fundraiser. Like, I know some people who are in ministry, they could walk into a place, tell people what they're going to do, and like when they walk out, the money is just following them. I know one church planner who raised $450,000. He started with a full staff. I was just trying to raise enough to put food on my table. And so if I couldn't even get my own church to support me, where in the world was the rest of the money going to come from? So... I just went to a depression, and I just felt like God had, had abandoned me, had let me down. I mean, God had called me to this. I was being obedient, so I'd done my part. Why wasn't he doing his? You ever been there? You ever been in a place where your emotions tank and your faith goes right with it? Maybe it was because you were facing a financial issue like me. 
Maybe it was, you were wrestling with a, a relationship that, that wasn't going right, or you longed to have a relationship and it just wasn't coming. Maybe you were struggling with something at work. Maybe it's a theological concept, something that you've been studying in the scriptures, and it just doesn't make sense. And so you just find yourself questioning everything. When that moment happens, you head into the valley of doubt. And as you sit there in doubt valley, as things seem really, really dark, you begin to doubt God's goodness. You begin to doubt his power. Sometimes you even begin to doubt his existence. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're here today joining us in person or you're online because this is a last ditch effort. Like, like you, you just don't know if any of this is real. You, you're really questioning, does God, I mean, this, this Aaron guy at Riverwood keeps talking about God's love, but I'm not seeing it. Today, as we get back to the book of Mark, after being away from it for three months, we get to see a woman who has every right to feel that way. She has every right to doubt God's goodness, to doubt his love, to doubt his power. But instead of getting mad and walking away, we're going to see her do something absolutely incredible. And my hope and prayer is that no matter where you're at in your faith, you'll hear something that is going to encourage you and help you to keep following God or to begin following God, even if your faith is super small. The story is in Mark chapter 7. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Mark chapter 7. Uh, if you are a first-time guest with us, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor for Riverwood. Really, really glad you've joined us today. Um, we, last year in 2020, were studying the book of Mark. Uh, we've been away from it for about three months, and now we're coming back to it. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to be putting the scripture up on the screen so you can read it along right with us. But we just really encourage you, get a Bible. Every single Sunday that we gather, we open this up together. And, and my hope and prayer is that as you open up the Bible, whether it's a paper copy or a digital one on your phone, it just begins to be become a habit and it makes it a little easier to open it on Monday and on Tuesday and on any day of the week. So we just really want you to have one. So download a Bible to your phone or ask us for a paper Bible. We'd love to give one to you. We've got high quality Bibles that will last you for years. We just want you to have a Bible. That way you can use it on Sunday and the rest of the week. As we get ready to read in Mark chapter 7, uh, let me pray for our time in the Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are coming to your timeless scriptures and so we ask that you be our teacher. Uh, many of us, uh, we're, we're all over the place. Some of us, we're, we're doing great. Some of us, we're really struggling in our faith. Some who are here or listening to this, they, they may be questioning whether you actually exist. And so God, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at through these words. So God, I just realized that I, as one man, am incapable of speaking to such a wide variety of people. But God, you are the God of the universe. You know each of us individually. You know our names. You know our fears. You know our, our celebrations. You know our mistakes. And you can bring your word and your presence into our, our, our lives and our hearts and our minds. So that's why I ask right now that you teach us from Mark 7. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, last time we were in Mark 7, we finished at verse 23. So that means we are ready to pick it up at verse 24. So join me. Mark 7, starting in verse 24. And from there he, being Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit 
heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. When we were in the book of Mark last, we saw Jesus having a conversation with these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees. At the end of chapter 6, we see Jesus in the region of Gennesaret. Uh, it was this kind of fertile farming area just south of Capernaum. Capernaum was where Jesus had kind of made his uh, home base. But then he's in Gennesaret, and, and he's, he's doing some miracles there. Well, word has traveled and spread. And so you've got some uh, Jewish rabbis from Jerusalem who've come up to the region of Gennesaret to have a conversation with Jesus. And what we saw back in October was that in this conversation, Jesus confronts these Pharisees about their hypocrisy. Basically, they were saying, okay, yeah, the word of God says this. God's law says this. But I tell you, this over here, this man-made rule, that's a little more important. And so Jesus is getting after him, saying, you're elevating these man-made rules and you're de like, what, decreasing God's rules. And you got it wrong. You're, you're being hypocrites, and, and you got to flip the script. So I don't know if Jesus just reaches a point of frustration. Just like, guys, I need a vacation. We gotta, let's just get out of here for a while. Let's go up to Tyre. Uh, Gennesaret, as you see on the map, is right there on the, sea, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum, Capernaum also on the shore, just a little bit north of that. But you see Tyre over there is next to the Mediterranean Sea. Well, we look at that, and in our minds, we're thinking like, oh, is that like from Iowa to California? No, it was actually about 50 miles. It, it was actually kind of close. I mean, that's like from Waverly to Backbone State Park. You know, we could jump in our cars, and if we didn't have snow-covered roads, we could get to Backbone in about an hour. However, they couldn't just jump in the car. They, they couldn't take a train. They couldn't take a helicopter. Their mode of transportation were their feet, well, average person, if they're really kind of moving, they will move at about five miles per hour, which means it probably took Jesus and his disciples 10 hours to walk. Kids, you think you're tired after like two hours in the car? Imagine 10 hours of walking and they had just these little sandals to wear under their feet. Imagine how your feet would hurt, how tired your legs would be. I mean, when you say, how long is it going to be? They're going to, mom and dad are saying, not till tomorrow, probably. Like, I, I, maybe they camped out. Maybe they broke it up. But they walked 10 hours. Well, they get there to Tyre. And Tyre was very different than many of the other communities that Jesus was, was kind of doing ministry in. It was very different than Gennesaret, Capernaum, Jerusalem. Because you see, those were all Jewish areas. Jesus, though, comes to Tyre, which is in a Syrophoenician region, meaning they were Gentiles. Kids, the word Gentile just simply means someone who's not Jewish. And so there's, now, now there are a few Jews that lived there, but the vast majority were, were not. They were Gentiles, and they were influenced by Greek culture. The, the Greeks did not believe in one God. They believed in multiple gods. And their, their philosophies were really starting to take the world by storm. And some of those philosophies had infiltrated the culture there. 
Now, many Jews, they looked at the people of Syrophoenicia. They'd see the people of Tyre, Sidon, the other communities, and they'd look at them and their religion, and they would call them pagan. But the Jews, when they looked at someone who was pagan, they had an insult word for them. I, I hesitate to say this, so kids, do not do this to your, your siblings at home. But their insult word was dog. Now, when I was a kid growing up, middle school, high school, there was uh, uh, some of the guys on the uh, wrestling team that I was a part of, when they would see a girl that they thought was really attractive, they would call her a fox. I, I think that was beyond just Iowa. I think that was kind of nationwide. But if they saw a girl that they didn't think was attractive, they wouldn't call her ugly, which would, which would have been very mean. They called her a dog. So when my inner middle school student hears Jesus call this woman a dog, it causes me to gasp. I mean, did, did you hear it? Look at it again. Start there in verse 25. It says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. So she heard Jesus had come and she came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. So remember, she's now a pagan and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first. In other words, I'm, I'm here for the Jews. Give to the Jews first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How in the world is Jesus, the most loving person to have ever walked planet Earth, insulting this woman and calling her a dog? Because you see, to the Jews, dogs were scavengers. They were animals of the streets. They were dirty. They were sickly. They could be mean. You didn't like dogs. That's why it was an insult word. However, what I learned this week is when Jesus uses the word dog, he uses the diminutive form, meaning like little dog or puppy. I don't know why, but I torture myself about two times a week going on the Cedar Bend Humane Society website to look at the dogs. I don't have a dog. I have dreams of one day having one. And so I go and I try and see if they've gotten a new dog. I mean, how can you not look at that face and go, oh, like dogs are awesome. Well, you see, while the Jews saw dogs as scavengers of the street in Syrophoenician areas, dogs weren't animals of the streets. They were, they were animals of the home. They were domesticated. Maybe the Syrophoenician woman had a cute little puppy like that. So when Jesus says, is it right to take the food from the children and throw it to the puppies? She doesn't think of an animal out on the street. She thinks of the animal that's at home. And that's why she gives him this response. Verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. If she was a Jew, she probably would have been insulted by Jesus's words. But because she's Syrophoenician, she knows these animals are of the home and that the parents and the kids have affection for this animal. She senses Jesus actually has affection for her. She sees an opening. And so she just responds. Yes, but even the, the dogs get the crumbs that the kids drop. Then we see Jesus answer her. Verse 29. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon 
has left your daughter. Now, many people see Jesus' statement there, and they think that the reason he gave her the answer to her request was because of her cleverness. Jesus responds with this, you know, could be insulting response. She gives this clever little quip. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus is not giving her answer because she was so witty. I believe Jesus gave her, her the answer for a completely different reason. In fact, I think it's for four reasons. The first reason Jesus answers her request is because of her desperation. Number one, her desperation. Uh, what we notice in uh, this woman is that she was willing to risk a lot. Remember, back in verse 24, we see Jesus come to Tyre. He tries to sneak into town. He doesn't want anyone to know, but he's apparently really bad at hide and seek. Right? She, she finds him, and she shows up. I want you to just take a moment and think about this woman. Like, put yourself in her sandals. She has this daughter that she loves, and something's just not right. And, and so maybe the mom has gone to seek some help. Maybe she's tried to find some sort of doctor, but they don't have modern medicine like we do. It's a bunch of voodoo stuff and nothing seems to work. Because they're part of the, a Greek culture, maybe she's gone to like one of the local cult temples trying to you know, see if you know, one of the Greek gods could somehow help her. Maybe she's gotten so desperate, she's, she's searching the internet for what essential oils to diffuse. I, by the way, kids, there's no internet back then. That was a bad joke. But you know, she's desperate. She's trying so hard. And then she hears about Jesus. Now, you'd probably be thinking, oh, oh, great, obviously. Jesus, this miracle worker is coming to town. I'll just take my daughter to him and he'll make everything better. But, except, remember, he's a Jewish rabbi. The, the Jews thought of the Syrophoenicians as pagans. What if he calls her a dog? And, and rabbis had nothing to do with women. What if he won't even acknowledge her presence? But she's so desperate. She just goes right up to the house, comes in, falls to her feet, and begs him. Did, did, you, did you hear it there? She sa it says there in verse uh, 26, and she begged him to cast the demon out. She is desperate. And Jesus isn't insulted. You may not realize this, but God actually welcomes your desperation. Now, now, as I look across the, the room and as I think about, you know, the, my church family that's joining us online, the large majority of us are middle class. A few might be considered upper class. A few of us might be considered low class. But most of us would be considered middle class. And the large majority of us would be considered Caucasian. We're a bunch of white people. And middle class white Iowans just tend to be really reserved. We don't show our desperation. I mean, to, to show desperation, like, oh, it's embarrassing. It's not appropriate. And, and so we try to keep it muted. I mean, to try to be desperate, I mean, to, it, it's kind of like showing up at church in a bikini or a Speedo. Like, it's just not appropriate. We just don't do that. And yet, Jesus wants us to be desperate. You, you got to understand that when God created Adam, the, the, the Genesis tells us that God breathed into him. God put his breath, but it wasn't just oxygen. It was at that moment he breathed in life. So when Adam and Eve sinned, 
When, when they stepped away from God, they, they rejected him, they died. Now, they didn't die physically right away, but they died spiritually. E- immediately, the breath of God was choked in them, and they died. And ever since then, we've been trying to recapture that breath, that life. Humans are trying to find it through money, trying to find it through relationships. They're trying to to find it through their job, through reputation, through power, through possessions, through all these things, just trying to feel like they're breathing again. But Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. He is the only one who can truly restore the breath of life to us. So we should be the most desperate people in the entire universe. Because without Jesus, we're dead. So we need him. We need to be desperate for him. And God welcomes that desperation. For instance, Psalm 42. God had the psalmist, the sons of Korah, write this. 42.1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Just as a deer is desperate for the water, desperate for a drink, the authors are saying, God, I'm desperate for you. And God inspired them to write that. He wants us to come to him desperate. So your desperation is okay. It's fine to be desperate for God. He welcomes it. You don't have to just stay with formalized prayers. I mean, please be respectful of God. But it's okay. Bring your desperation to him. The second thing I think, that the second reason that Jesus gave this woman the answer to her request wasn't just her desperation. I think it's also her perseverance. Her perseverance. Uh, This past week, I ran into a friend who works with uh, young adults. Now, if you're a Warburg student joining us online or or, you're someone who's in their 20s, do not be insulted by what I'm about to, to share. Because you've got to understand, my friend is passionate about young adults. I, like, like, I used to be a young adult pastor. I, I'm pretty passionate about young adults, those who are in their, their 20s and 30s. And yet this guy makes me look like I'm absolutely apathetic. All right? He loves young adults. And yet, I, when I ran into him, he just was having this moment of frustration. The, the group he was working with just wasn't doing what he felt they should be doing. And so he said something like this. said, this group, referring to young adults, this group thinks that just because they want something, they should have it. They don't try to earn it. They don't work for it. They won't persevere. They just want it immediately. Now, I think he spoke truth about young adults, but I think he also just spoke truth about all of us. Just think about your life. Think about the times where you've just given in to the temptation. You don't persevere. You don't remain disciplined. You just have a cookie, another cookie and another one and another one. You open up yet another bottle. You buy yet another pair of shoes that you don't need. You, you watch yet another YouTube video, even though you know you need to move on and get to something else. You just give in. You don't persevere. You don't have that discipline. Or sometimes there's something that's ahead of us. Maybe it's a, a project at work or, or you know, something at school. And it's going to be really, really hard. And so we just delay. We don't do it because we don't want to persevere. And yet, God wants us to persevere. He wants us to keep going. 
because it honors him. I mean, just look at the woman. When she comes in, she falls at his feet, she begs him. And then he says that insult. I put it in quotes because it wasn't really an insult. But, but he says, you know, oh, it's not right for me to take the food and throw it to the dogs. Did, did you notice, though? She doesn't stop. She keeps going. Yes, but Lord, even the dogs eat the scra- scraps under the table. Like, she, she didn't let this one rebuff keep her way. She persevered. It, scripturally, if you go and, and do a study on perseverance, you're going to see God wants you to persevere. It's something that he's built into life, that, that it develops something within us. In fact, Jesus tells a parable about a widow who had these injustices being done to her. Uh, women back in Jesus' day were like just a step above property. And so if a woman's husband died, I mean, she basically would have nothing. And so maybe the things that her husband had worked for, they're, they're now being taken from her. And she's not going to be able to live and survive. It's not fair. And so she goes to get justice. So she shows up at the court, and unfortunately the judge is not a nice guy. He, he won't give her justice. Maybe he's waiting for a, a, a bribe. You know, if she'd just pay a little bit of money, maybe he'd then give it to her. She, she doesn't have the money. She's not wealthy. Well, she, she's not a, an influential person in, in, in town. Her husband probably wasn't any big deal. So who cares? So the judge is just going to continue to do whatever he wants and ignore her. But Jesus tells the story that she keeps coming day after day after day after day until the judge finally reaches the point where he's just pulling out his hair and he's pulling out his beard. He's like, she's driving me crazy. Fine, I don't really care about her. I don't care about justice. I'm just gonna give her the justice so she leaves me alone. And then Jesus says, you need to be like the widow. This is from Luke uh, 18, verse seven. He says, and will not God give justice to his elect, listen, who cry to him day and night? In other words, don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Don't stop going to him. See, the reason God is honored by your perseverance is because as you persevere, he's doing something inside of you but it's also revealing your dependence and desperation for him. God has created you to be in union with him. And the more desperate you are, the more you realize you need him. And so he wants you to persevere because it develops that desperation so that you rely on him more and more and he's glorified and you become more like Christ. So I believe Jesus honored her because of her desperation and because of her perseverance. Third reason I think Jesus honored her request was because of her humility. Because of her humility. Yes, this woman, she comes into the house completely desperate. She falls at Jesus' feet. She's, she's pleading. But even though she's desperate, even though we see her persevere, she doesn't demand. Uh, right now in our culture, in, in 2020, there became this new term called a Karen. Uh, anyone heard this term, a, a, a Karen? Okay, a couple of hand, hand, hand okay, the, at least Jake knows. Uh, a Karen, and by the way, if your mom is named Karen or you're named Karen, I'm not trying to insult you. Uh, a Karen is a middle-class, typically white woman who apparently wears her hair a certain way, who walks into a store or a place and is demanding something. And if she doesn't get it at the time she wants, in the way she wants, she would like to speak to the manager. Like, they're very insistent. 
it comes from this place of where they think because they've got some money they, that they can demand certain things. It's a, like a position of power and everyone there is to serve them. And if they don't get their way, they go to some sort of higher authority. This Syrophoenician woman is not a Karen. She's, she's the exact opposite. When she comes into Jesus, she does not begin to demand things a certain way. She instead is incredibly humble. I mean, notice when she walks into the room, it says that she falls at his feet. I mean, that is right there, a sign of humility, a sign of respect. She does not walk in just puffed out going, all right, you miracle worker, listen up. No, she falls at his feet. It says that, that she begs him. And even when he gives her the insult, did you hear what she said in response? Verse uh, 28, but she answered him, well, yes, Lord. Like, there's an agreeable, submissive spirit here. She is showing honor and respect. She's showing humility. So, by all means, when you come to God in prayer, reveal your desperation. Persevere in prayer. Just keep going. But God is not your butler. When he doesn't do it a certain way at a certain time, he hasn't wronged you. He's not your servant. He's the God of the universe. He is sovereign. He knows far better than you exactly what is going on. Maybe he hasn't answered it in the exact way because he still needs you to persevere so he can do that deep work in you. But you come to him with humility. You come to him with deference. You confess your sin. You honor him. He's honored when you show that humility before him. Because that humility is saying, God, you're in control. You're the authority. I trust you. So we see her desperation. We see her perseverance. And we see her humility. Then the fourth reason I believe that Jesus answered her request, and I, I think this is the biggest reason, it's because of her big faith. Her big faith. When we look at the story, we see her come into the house. But kids, who is she asking for healing for, uh, for for herself no no who's she asking healing for for her daughter that's right but wait a second where's her daughter at is her daughter there no her daughter's at home this is the only the second time we see in the scriptures where someone comes to jesus asking for healing and the person they want the healing for isn't there Usually when Jesus is in a Jewish community, they either bring the sick person to Jesus or they ask Jesus to come to that person. But there's a Roman centurion who approaches Jesus asking for healing for one of his servants. And now this woman, another Gentile, and she approaches Jesus asking for healing for her daughter. And yet her daughter's not there. She believes Jesus is powerful enough. All he has to do is say the word and her daughter at home will be healed. That is big faith. But I also see it in another place. I see it in her response. After Jesus gives her, gives her that little insult about, you know, not throwing the, the bread to the dogs, she responds, well, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You realize she's just asking for a crumb of Jesus' power. Just a crumb. The smallest amount. All he needs to do is say a word and her daughter will be healed. That is big faith. She didn't need Jesus to come in person. She didn't need him to part the skies. She didn't need, you know, the fireworks. 
She just needed a crumb of his power. That's why it's so embarrassing when I think back upon my church planning journey. And when I get told no by a church, my faith just tanks. It's it's not going to work out. The dream is dead. And now I'm not even going to be able to plant a church. And I no longer have a job. I'm now unemployed. I don't understand what's going on, God. I didn't even have a crumb of faith. And yet, despite my lack of faith, God did it. No, I didn't get $12,000 a year from the church officially. And yet, out of the people who ended up financially supporting us, about 75% of them were from that church. So while the church didn't officially support us, the church did. And we never missed a meal. We always were able to pay rent. I can't even say that about my entire life. Yeah, there was a time where I had to work part-time. Leanne is gone and and she worked as a sub, now working full-time as a teacher. But God always provided, despite my lack of faith. That's why I want to encourage you, don't make the same mistake I did. Because when you have that lack of faith, it sends you into that depression. It leads you into that doubt valley. Instead, may you just desperately seek after God. May you keep desperately persevering in prayer. May you approach him humbly, but may you have big faith. Even if it's just a crumb. You realize this is why Jesus said that even if you have just a mustard seed of faith, you can move a mountain. Because it isn't about the size of your faith. It's about who your faith is in. So really the question isn't how big is your faith. The question should be how big is your God? Because what I'm discovering is that my God is big enough to heal a demon-possessed daughter, to provide for my family financially, and he's big enough to handle your issue. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of here today or you're going to log off the computer a little later and everything is going to be magically better. It doesn't mean that after this you are going to go and schedule that counseling session and in one session everything's miraculously done and and gone and fine. It it doesn't mean that suddenly tonight you're going to get that email saying you got the job. It doesn't mean that you're going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly there's a whole bunch of money in your bank account. God might allow the situation you're in, whether it's financial, relational, theological, he might allow it to continue for a while because he's still trying to develop more desperation in you. He's trying to develop that perseverance in you because he's got more work he wants to do through you. But before he does the work through you, he's going to do something in you. But if you have even just a morsel of faith, knowing how big your God is, and you hang on, you're going to see God respond and do even more than you could imagine. So hold on. Stay desperate. Persevere. But humbly approach him with your faith. Even if you say, God, my faith's not very big right now, but you are. So Heavenly Father, I just pray you'd help us to be individuals of big faith, to also be a church of big faith. God, I I pray for those listening to this, whether they're they're in person, they're online, or they're listening to this later in the week. God, I pray that you'd meet them right where they're at. If they are struggling with something, uh, uh, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, that you would meet them right where they're at. You would remind them how big you are, how sovereign you are. God, would you help us to become desperate? Desperate for you to realize that all the things that this world has to offer is empty, 
that we're only going to find that true life, that true breath in you and you alone. God, develop within us perseverance. Help us to be the type of people who keep going because we trust you. God, also help us to be humble people, to not think that this life is about us, but to remember that life is about you and that we will find our greatest joy in being in union with you. So let us humbly approach your throne of grace with confidence. But God, would you also give us big faith, a faith in in how big you are and how powerful you are and in who you are. Because God, we can look at Jesus. We see that he didn't just come for us. He he didn't just give some healings out and and distribute some food and, and do some nice things. He ultimately went to a cross where he died for our sin so that your breath could come back into us and we could live. So God, when our faith wanders, when it's small, when we find ourselves in that valley, help us, God to look up at the cross, to look up at you, to realize just how big you are, how powerful you are, and how present you are. God, we need this. Jesus, you said you came to give us joy. Help us to find our joy in you. You said you came to give life. Help us to realize life is only found in you. And so God, I I not only pray for the person that's been struggling, who's been doubting, who's been wrestling. I I pray right now for the person who doesn't know you. That right now, they would confess their sin. They would humbly approach you. And they would realize that you, Jesus, died on a cross for them. And you invite them into a life-changing relationship with you. God, I pray that today would be their spiritual birthday. That, That from this moment forward, your breath is in them. And they would begin to change. And they would realize just how desperate they are for you that you invite them to persevere and to humbly trust you. So God, would you do this in the lives of those listening for your glory and for their joy? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We want to give you some space to pray. If you have been wrestling with something, we want you to to bring it right now to God. But as you do, as as you just heard me in my prayer, sometimes when our faith wanders, when, when it's small, we got, we got to look back up at the cross because it's at that cross we see the love of God for us. We see his grace. We see his presence. And, and, and it's, it's by looking at the cross, we, we realize just how desperate we are for God. It, it's supposed to help motivate us that if Jesus could persevere and go through the cross for us, we can go through whatever hell life brings to us because God's got us. So whatever you're wrestling with, whatever's going on, would you take these elements But you take that that bread and remember that that is Jesus' body, which was broken for you. When you take that cup and drink that juice, that's his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And would you allow those elements to remind you, you are desperate for God, but you're invited to keep coming, to keep praying, to keep trusting. If you are not a, a follower of Jesus yet, I, I'm really, really, really glad you've joined us, whether you're, you're online or you're here as you're wondering whether you run and get some elements or not, I just want you to know that that the pressure's off. You don't have to take these elements because really right now, the most important thing is for you to wrestle with God. So as the team leads us in this song that that reminds us of just how desperate we are for God, I I invite you to just pray, to, to pray that God would show you the reality and the truth of the gospel, that God loved you so much, he sent his one and only son, and he invites you to put your faith in him, to believe in the story, and by doing so, you will find eternal life. So whether you're a follower of Jesus and are going to take these elements or you're going to become a follower of Jesus and you're going to spend this time in prayer, 
Let us do this now in remembrance of him.